will find you. And I will kill you. Yeah. I am the walrus. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Just been revoked. Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Because it is my name! I see Dave. Today, Junior? Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Like scary. Uh huh. What's your favorite scary? The price is wrong, bitch. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And this week, we're covering Who Would Have Thought It, Episode 2 of Falcon and Winter Soldier on Disney+. Plus. Uh, like with all the other MCU shows, I'm joined again by Leslie this week. Leslie, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. We had some pre-recording frustrations, but uh, we seem to have it all sorted out. And yeah, technology is only great when it works. Yes, when it, and when it wants to work. So um, if if things sound a little bit different it, this week, we're we're testing some new settings out. And I know we don't have it perfected, but hopefully everything sounds fine. But uh, if not, hopefully by the next episode, we'll have that all straightened out. Um, as we always keep saying, we're trying to constantly improve, but enough about the, those woes. Let's uh, let's get talking about this episode, and I'm going to turn the reins over to you to get us started. Cool beans. The reins are mine. As <laughs> <laughs> I like drive the show on. No. Um, so we started off, we kind of learning more about John Walker, you know, and who he is. And I think that was like a good way to lead off. Because everybody, I I mean, I don't know anybody who ended last episode that wasn't like, how dare you stand where he stood and hold his shield? How dare you? Who are you? You think you are? You know? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Oh, no, it was just nice to kind of start to learn more about his character. I'm not 100% sure how I feel about him, but I definitely feel a little more sympathetic because I feel like he did it. He... He said all the right things, or at least the writers made him say all the right things <laughs> about, you know, wanting to to just to be the best Captain America he can be, you know, and he knows that people have all these expectations about the suit and, and the title of Captain America. So I feel like it was just kind of nice just to see, like, okay, he's not a total, 
you know, egotistical jerk or, you know, he's out there tooting his own horn and puffing up his chest or anything like that. He's kind of seems like a normal guy. Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, I, that was a really good way to kind of start the episode. It wasn't necessarily where I thought it was going to pick up. Uh, I kind of assumed it would have picked up like right with Sam kind of going on, on a high horse and everything. But, uh, I did like kind of this break, in the narrative to to kind of see who John Walker is on a surface level. Um, he definitely gives you that, you know, high school football player uh, who, you know, joined the military vibe and, and uh, you know, that this is kind of. I, I don't know if it's necessarily been thrust upon him, but it's it's been the thing that he's stepping up to. Um, and one thing I did kind of want to note, uh, I'm sure you caught it because I know I kind of hinted at it in an earlier conversation with us, uh, with us during the workday. Uh, but the band playing the, uh, man with a plan, uh, theme song from the first captain America movie. I thought that that was a nice, cool touch and like, and, and nod to the history that the MCU has been building. Um, and of course, like they even kind of reference those even words, uh, in, in the episode itself. Um, now one thing I wasn't necessarily expecting, although I should have, uh, was I didn't think that they would necessarily reveal his identity to the world. I I was kind of more in line thinking maybe they would try to keep it a secret, kind of keep him this mythological icon, whereas like Steve was, you know, Steve was Steve and he was viewed as a person and, you know, persons can break, people can break and stuff like that. Um, that they might try to keep him more as a, a symbol versus humanizing him. But I... Again, I still liked that they did this. It was humanizing. It was introducing a character that we have no prior history or knowledge of and establishing kind of the hometown boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we kind of get to Bucky and Sam. Now, I felt like that was a little too um, rushed in the sense like just Bucky being there. Uh, on the base, you know, as, as Sam's getting ready to go on another, uh, flag smasher mission. What'd you think? I don't know. I I can see it kind of both ways. I can see where it kind of feels like, oops, let's just pop them together. But I, I like that they went with Bucky being the one with the outrage. Yeah. And Sam, Sam, like, yes, I, I'm mad about it, but I'm not gonna go, you know, in there and how dare you double cross me like that or, you know, or start off that way. I mean, you know, we've got a few more episodes. He might do that, but it it does kind of make sense to me because we saw Bucky just sitting in his like no furniture apartment on the floor, which is kind of sad. And he's already kind of dealing with you know all of his his mental issues of or well, mostly guilt and stuff like that. But I feel like it makes sense that he's the one that kind of went to Sam because he's dealing with all that stuff. And then this kind of actually gives him an excuse to go see Sam where it seems like he was like purposely avoiding him, you know, or not wanting to talk or, or anything like that. So it's like, ah, I'm going to go chew him out. And it's, but like maybe deep down, it's like, it's an excuse to go see him and talk to him. Yeah. You know, um, like, I, I, I would agree. Friends deep down. <laughs> and you, you know, you, you, uh, you hit on a very interesting point that I, I caught it and, uh, I liked that, um, whether this was intentional or not, or uh, just like by happenstance, 
when we first met Sam in um, Winter Soldier, Sam was uh, talking about uh, Cap's readjustment to uh, civilian life and sleeping on a bed, you know, was like too soft. And he himself would find himself sleeping on the floor or like trying to find like a a rock to put his head on. And and Bucky is kind of going through that same trying to readapt to civilian life um, uh, way that like Sam was referencing the cap in, in back then. So it's it's a nice, again, like touchstone on probably actual like PTSD and and, uh, and um I'm trying, I'm trying to think of the right word, but just reassimilation back into society and back into civilian life. So yeah, it, it, that's kind of really cool that they're, they're still keeping those themes alive. And I agree, like it makes sense that Bucky would be the one coming from the place of outrage. Whereas like Sam's trying is, is emotional, but trying to deal with it logically like going mm-hmm. can't just break in there and steal the shield or anything um but then of course this leads to bucky just joining for a mission <laughs> <You know? laughs> like just completely not sanctioned by the government or anything but like I- i'm coming with you and I- again one of the best things that they've done with uh anthony mackie and sebastian stan even just as far back as civil war and, and kind of starting a little bit with winter soldier is their kind of fun bromance, like in the sense of yeah. like, they, they hate each other, but they like each other at the same time. And yeah. it, their chemistry is really strong together, which would make sense that they would do a show like this kind of being that buddy cop type movie. Mm-hmm. And it's really, I, it's so funny. Just all those moments together, especially was like, well, there is no shoot, or you can't go down because it's too low or whatever, and he's like, I don't need the shoot. But he didn't do the cool Captain America thing. He just landed on his butt on yeah. his back like all the rest of us normal human beings, <laughs> except that he didn't shatter every bone in his body. And, and the fact that uh, Sam's being kind of petty enough to be like, you know I got that recorded, right? <laughs> like, that's... That's the stuff that you're like, I want to be on their group chat, like the Avengers group chat, you know, texting between him and who else all would be on there? Spider-Man, you know, and they're like, check this out. Well, this um, this level of humor actually to divert a little bit from from the episode um, and, and kind of talking about uh, the difference between the Marvel stuff and the DC stuff. Because uh, I, I was listening to someone review uh, the Snyder Cut and talking about why why they enjoy the DC movies a lot more versus the Marvel ones. And his complaint about the Marvel stuff was that uh, it's too kind of like on the nose, uh, kind of breaking the fourth wall, acknowledging and knowing that they're a comic book, whereas like the DC movies try to even though they're, you know, grand fiction and fantasy trying to set themselves within the real world. Like there's real world consequences for having a big giant battle in the middle of like New York or Gotham city. Um, whereas like the Avengers and, and the MCU kind of shrugs it off and makes a joking humor of it. And that's what I like that distincts, uh, that is the distinct difference between the two franchises like that. I go to watch the DC stuff to kind of go with that more serious uh, real world uh, mythological tone of 
you know, God's interacting in, in earth and us mere mortals and how we are uh, cohabiting with them and the Marvel universe being more just lighthearted, fun, a little campy. Uh, and so that's what really kind of bothers me when people are either complete Marvel stands or they're complete DC stands. Like, I don't think either one is necessarily better than the other. Like obviously Marvel has had a more successful go at it and has had more of a vision for what, where they want to take the movies and how they want it to organically uh, evolve. And these shows being kind of part of that next step of evolution. Uh, and DC's kind of lacked in that. And when they had somebody who did kind of have a distinct vision, it clashed with the studio and there was all this headbutting and, that, you know, obviously that's what led to the Snyder cut. Um, I, I, I think both have their merits, both have their weak points, but I'd rather have both exist. So then I get some, I don't just constantly get Marvel, you know, and I don't constantly get DC. I, I get a mixture of both. So a little diversion there, but this episode does kind of play heavy a little bit on the humor and it's kind of starting off with this, uh, mission and Bucky landing flat on his ass and, and (laughs) Sam joking that Red Wing has recorded it all. And, uh, and then even going into the compound and like Bucky's like, Oh, there's only two. Let's just go ahead and do this. And Sam's like, uh, yeah, hang on. Uh, two, four, six, eight, like, you know, being the more practical person about it, but still kind of rubbing Bucky's face in it. Yeah. I get that. I like them both too. The one thing, which is part of DC, the the CW shows, is like if I sit and watch them too much, they're so moody, broody that I get, like get depressed. Yeah. So I have to like watch a few episodes and then watch something else because there's too much. Oh, and the world is all on me. Teenage angst and you know doom, gloom from. And I'm just like, oh my god, okay, let's <laughs> need to go watch something else. Let's find a good comedy or something. Right. I think with WandaVision and with this show, they're kind of striking a good balance of showing you the people dealing with those issues that they have, like Wanda with her grief, or seeing Bucky in his mandated therapy. Right. You know, while still, you know, not going like DC does, like really hardcore with the realism and kind of that doom gloom sort of a feeling that you can kind of get, you know? Yeah. 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 It's, I, I just, I like that there's these two different distinct styles and I would probably start like losing respect for Warner brothers or for the DC stuff. If they kept trying to like constantly emulate the Marvel movies, cause then I'm getting the same thing over and over again. You can only eat the same food same time in a week with, for you're like, okay, I'm finally tired of this, you know? Yeah, I don't think DC needs to completely emulate Marvel, but I think what they need is is what Marvel had, which is or it still has, which is somebody like Kevin Feige who has a vision and a direction he wants to go, and then they get all of the politics, you know, of of whatever board members or whoever it is, you know, office politics that needs to be on board all on board and going in that direction. Yeah. I think DC could easily be exactly at the level of Marvel as far as, you know, billion dollar movies and stuff like that, but they don't have anybody to like help give them that direction. And that doesn't mean that they have to set up their universe exactly like Marvel did, 
But if you have somebody, it, it's it's the difference between being a plotter or a pantser. You, know, right. you plot out your book and you know and you have a direction you're going and you're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants and it kind of takes you places and you have no idea what's going on and, and it kind of goes in different directions a little bit kind of like what happens um, with Martin and Game of Thrones. It's kind of going everywhere right. without having a clear, like, here's point A, here's point B. You know, I think they could easily do that, but they just haven't had anybody, you know, to actually, like, take those reins and give them a direction because you have board members and stakeholders just seeing dollar signs trying to chase that and, like, clashing with everybody, you know, in between. Yeah, and that's, and that's, um, that's a very good point. Like, the one thing, um, you know, we talked about in the, in the Snyder Cut review was, like, the fact that these were studio execs wanting to get the billion dollar franchise. Like they didn't, they didn't care. They didn't care about the characters. They didn't care about the, the, uh, the creative talent behind it. They just wanted, Hey, we saw Avengers do really well. We want that. We have the rights to our characters, so we should easily be able to do that. And Zach going, okay, well, if you want me to do that, this is, this is how I'm going to have to do it. And the studio constantly stepping in going, no one's going to sit and watch a four hour movie. No one's going to, you know, care about all this. We just want to haphazardly slapdash it together, put the jokey humor on it. And Mm -hmm. like putting Joss Whedon on a Zack Snyder film is just two incompatible directors, two completely styles, two completely different techniques and and so I don't know why Warner Brothers thought that that was going to work for for 2017's Justice League. And as we've seen with the success, uh, even though the studio is still being hyper resistive to to the Snyder Cut, by all means, the Snyder Cut has been a hit. I've seen plenty of I, I mean, there's still going to be the typical people who were like, well, it's just trash. It's just trash. It's Zack Snyder. It's always trash. Uh, but I have legitimately seen people who have said, hey, I thought this was going to be garbage. I expected it to be just utter trash, but I actually liked it. It had what I wanted it. It had character development. It was well paced. It had a better story, better villain. And I didn't expect that from Zack Snyder. And so I think had maybe the studio just been like, all right, Zack, like we saw with your extended cut of Batman v Superman, a more positive uh, opinion of it will we'll let you do it this time and if this doesn't succeed then we have to take it in a different direction and instead you know they they were combative they had multiple changes yeah. in in their heads and everything and that's the one thing that has distinctly set the marvel uh universe from the dc is they've pretty much had support feige has been such a unifying force between creative talent and studio heads. And I, I think I said this in our Snyder review, um, even though I didn't like necessarily agree with him dismissing like, Edgar, well, Edgar Wright walking away, but kind of the dismissal of Edgar Wright on working on the Ant-Man movie, uh, Patty Jenkins uh, leaving Thor two, uh, all these directors that have like been slated for movies and then they've left because of, uh, you know, disagreements with Feige but we can still see where those things have still succeeded. So it's like, okay, even though I might at the time not had liked what he did, it was for the better of the franchise. It was better for the universe. So 
that that is distinctly what DC is missing and what Warner Brothers is missing is that unifying force between the creative talent, the person that can go, hey, this is where we wanted to go. And your vision doesn't fit with that. So either we got to reconcile this or you're gone. And yeah. and that's, I think, really the problem. And that's why we get these Marvel shows on Disney Plus and, and still feels like it's continuing on that nice uh that nice pace and and Falcon and Winter Soldier one of the things I've really liked too cuz I was really worried with run times uh it's these first two episodes have both been 49 minutes and none of it feels filler no, it, it justifies it run its run times as much as like we were kind of like ah I wish WandaVision was you know a little bit longer for some episodes it fit that episodic format of what WandaVision was emulating with those old style TV shows of being that 22 minutes and, and commercial break. Um, and then later on, it kind of got a little bit longer with the episodes because the episodes warranted it. And I kind of like the fact to know that these Marvel shows might have varying run times, but they're designed for it and they're supposed to be justifying those run times. Whereas yeah. Mandalorian felt like it was like, eh, we, this is a 30 minute episode. We're going to just do a 30 minute episode. This episode's going to be a 40 minute episode. It's going to be a 40 minute episode. Um, but getting back on, on track here, um, did you think that the, the person that they thought was a hostage was going to be a hostage? Well, no, because I, I had heard that it was going to be, um, that actress and I can't remember her name. But All I know, she's from Solo. <laughs> yeah, from Solo. I heard it was going to be her, and I think I'd actually seen a promotional picture of her with the mask on. Yeah. So I was like, well, she's not a hostage. <laughs> um, but one thing I thought was a little bit stupid of Bucky, uh, although I know he was going probably for the hostage truck, is the fact that he didn't go to the truck that's in the back. Right, but. I was like, that was dumb. But yeah. I, my thought on that was like, why weren't the drivers like the guy didn't honk or anything, but then the guys were all up on the top. So I'm like, well, they obviously saw him. Right. It wasn't like they didn't see him. I mean, but what was he going to do? Other than honking, it probably was like uh, on a radio, just like, hey, yeah, you know, like, we got trouble. <laughs> yeah. Um, But then we get, you know, a really, I think. CGI was a little bit weak uh, in some moments on, on this uh, chase sequence, uh, but not enough for me to be like, ah, this totally breaks me out of it. I have, I, we all have to understand that like, well, all they, yeah, they got to, they've got to spend their money wisely. Right. And these aren't necessarily being released in the theaters and they're not, you know, getting a billion dollars right off the bat, uh, you know, opening weekend or anything like that. So I would rather the, they pick and choose and decide when they think, all right, this is going to be a really cool, this is the climax, it's got to look great and really make it look great. Right. For, like, maybe something that looks a little eh, you know, but it's not a huge deal. Right, yeah. It's just, it's, it's from a critical perspective, it is just one of the, the flaw points, but it doesn't, it wasn't enough for me to be like, oh, this just totally breaks, you know, the episode for me. But it, it, I can see it being a criticism from maybe someone who isn't a Marvel fan. Be like, oh, that's crappy CGI. And I'll be like, well, DC doesn't have really any place to stand <laughs> when it comes to CGI. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it was just one thing that kind of stuck out to me. But at the same time, it didn't really detract too much from it because it's a very fast moving scene. 
Uh, Sam's all over the place in it with his wings and, and Bucky's you know, under the truck at one point, just scraping a by with his arm on the ground. And then we get John Walker and I have to look this up and, and I, I, I'm probably correct, but I do believe his partner who calls himself Battlestar is a character. Um, I, I would assume so because there's stuff that's like, I want to look it up, but then I don't want to because right. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil myself for the show. Like Which, I want them to tell me their story. Speaking of, we, we will probably talk mild spoilers. I think that's, oh, yeah. you know, foregone conclusion yeah, but- because especially when we're doing this week by week, like we're not giving grand spoilers. We're just kind of talking about what we see in this episode and kind of build off from that first episode in each subsequent episode. Uh, yeah. So, you know, you've been warned because I know we will talk about one here briefly that I picked up on immediately. And I also loved the actor playing the character. Uh, but it was also kind of funny because it's like, we get a corporate version of Bucky and Sam, you know, basically <laughs> it's just like, it's, it's so funny. They're sitting in that car, but I love that. As soon as he said, I'm Battlestar, his partner or whatever, Bucky was like, like I'm, I'm out. I'm out. Stop the Peace. Car. <laughs> yeah, he's like, nope, nope, I'm, I'm outie. Uh, and then, notice, sorry, go ahead. something that I just thought of that I've noticed, especially like I was, I'm thinking back of the episode, but like the sound effects mm-hmm. around Bucky, especially in that fight scene, is like a really heavy and like a thud. Like whenever he falls or he was down there and it was like thud. There's like a deep like weightiness to all the stuff, and I keep thinking. I think they do it because of his arm. Mm-hmm. I'm like, does that mean like they, they make it sound like the rest of him? Like he's, you know, like, um, um, what's his name from X-Men? Colossus. Oh, yes. It's yeah. It's just like, boom. Oh, okay. Really just like real thick and just because every time he hits and lands on something, you know, it's, it's just, that has a really weighty sound to it. I don't, I can't say I've necessarily picked up on that, but I could say it's, it's probably, yeah, in part due to his arm. And also he is kind of super soldier enhanced. So, you know, it's much yeah. like if cap were to land, he probably would have that same kind of weight to it. Um, yeah. but yeah, I did kind of like this, this conversation between them all in, in the car and, you know, it's again, they're trying to present us Walker as being this guy like, hey, I just want to be the best cap I can be. I want to be the symbol. I want to live up to the mantle uh, and I just want to do good. But I can't help but think, especially later on, um, when we get a cu- another conversation with him, that there's still this dark side to him that that we haven't seen. Um And and in fact, like uh, to kind of jump around a little bit to get back to the the group that gets away of the Flag Smashers, because we all obviously we all find out they are enhanced. Uh, They all have somehow the super soldier serum um, and that they want to go. Oh, this also because it just popped in my head. We get the concept of the GRC, uh, you know, this kind of global. was a global repatriation or something council basically oh, to people who reappear. Yeah. And what I'm more like, what I'm more trying to figure out about the flag smashers is do they like, do they approve of what Thanos did? Cause like, that's almost what it comes to be is like, 
they want to go back to that blip time where half the population of the earth is gone. Half, half the population of the entire universe is gone. And even though like things weren't necessarily better and I get it that things aren't great now because now you have all of these displaced uh, people. They even talk about, you know, they had to re- uh, reactivate social security numbers, uh, healthcare, like there are a lot of complications from everyone coming back that we, you know, we don't really deal with it at the end of Endgame because we're just happy everyone's back. But it does have long lasting ramifications, not just for the U.S., but for the world, because there's a lot of other factors that go into it. Also, do you have to pay your taxes for the past five years? <laughs> I don't know. See, I they haven't really fleshed out for us like all of their you know, manifesto. And I don't know because when they're having that little conversation in that little hostel or whatever, where they went to, it uh, it almost kind of seems to me that they're not necessarily like approving what Thanos did, but they're disapproving of how the handling of everyone coming back is taking place. Okay. Because it sounds to me, it sounded to me like when she said they're more important, you know, than the people who was already here, it, it kind of makes me think, think in the terms of like, well, you know, maybe you were poorer before, and then because half the people were gone, you moved up in your job or whatever, got more skills or opportunity that you wouldn't have had before, and but now this person comes back, and, you know, like, do they get their job back and they demote you back to where you were before? You know, sort of a, how are they integrating the people back in? Because it sounds like they're prioritizing them to put them back where they were over the people who were here and maybe they're not doing that like you know in an equitable stance like i saw one reviewer say if i you know bought this other did i buy that other house did i just move into this guy's house and then they come back did they kick me out you know did i pay money for it do i get that money back you know how do they handle that sort of like i think it's that sort of a thing okay but they haven't flushed it out for us to for us to really know and my my guess is that's that's what we're going to get in the next episode um and and, well on that scene who texted her so that's where i was going to go next um so this is going back to our kind of original theory like we we thought walker was maybe one of the flag smashers um but that does like not. Maybe, I don't know. Well, he's I don't if if he is th- this group is a splinter that broke off because uh, I have the feeling they're rogue or at least uh, they have taken something from another group because I'm still like we've said, this episode is trying maybe to put a little bit of a of a take you off the scent of John Walker instead of me immediately going, this is the bad guy. This is who we need to focus on. They might be, you know, trying to lead us on a chase and, and think it's something else. Uh, but I'm I'm under the mind that it's John, that he. Yeah, so is he saying like you took what was mine, like you all took the super soldier serum and gave it to yourselves and that was supposed to be for me. That or something, because even though Bucky was saying those were vaccines, we still don't really know what was on those trucks. Um, I mean, they could say vaccines and they could all be super soldier serums like we we just don't know. Um, and so like that's my other thinking was that it was uh, potentially Zemo because I was kind of thinking, well, wait, you know, because we did talk about, well, Zemo's been locked up. But then I was thinking, well, what if he was blipped? Unless he landed right back in the cell, 
he could have, you know, easily, and if his cell was unoccupied, you know, he could have easily gotten out if it was unlocked and stuff like that. You know, it, there, there were a couple things that could have led to him still maybe actually being out in the wild, but the end of this episode still reveals otherwise. And, and I'm, I'm glad it wasn't that because that would be too, a little too convenient for me. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like it's going to turn out to be Walker somehow. Yeah. Somehow I'm thinking maybe maybe he has this he wanted to be Steve his whole life sort of a thing and and that whatever doses how many of them there were like 6 or 8 or whatever were all meant for him or in his mind they were meant for him you know and then she took them like you said if he's a, a part of a splinter group or something but I'm sure I'm sure whatever twist they give us will, you know, we'll all be like, oh. <laughs> right. Well, and, and, you know, there's even the moment where kind of Bucky and when they're in the car, Bucky kind of is giving him the third degree. And he's like, well, have you ever thrown yourself down on a grenade? And immediately Walker's like, yeah, I have. And I was like, wait a minute. And then he goes, yeah, I put my helmet special and everything. I'm like, that's not the same. Like Steve put his entire body on the line. Like it wasn't just, yeah. oh, hey, I have this special reinforced helmet that can contain a grenade blast. Uh, so I know I might get mild injuries at most. Uh, and so I think that that also doesn't endear, you know, Walker to Bucky. But that's kind of my running theory right now, because I still think that Walker is not supposed to be a good guy. And but I I this episode again, we got to give it credit because they're doing their best to present you evidence to the contrary. Like they don't, they don't want to just outright introduce them. Granted, we only have six episodes. So our, probably our first major like reveals will be within the next episode. And then the last two will be kind of dealing with those ramifications. Um, but it was just one of those things where it's like, I, I'm still leaning that because moving on to kind of, where Bucky and Sam are going, they go and visit someone in Baltimore. Um, I kind of liked this one line because it, it it's kind of where I think not to get political, but it's kind of where a lot of people are at where like, why do we have to keep qualifying things? And the kid calls him black Falcon. And he's like, wait, is it because I'm black? And, and the kid's like, well, and he goes, well, what does that make you black kid? And, and, you know, just joking with him. It's like, it doesn't have to be by the color of your skin or, or any other qualifiers that it should just be who you are. And that's, a, I think, a message that might get missed in this episode. And it's one thing where like a lot of people are like, like, I get it. We want diversity and everything, but we don't want anything to be forced and we don't want it to be just solely based on someone's, you know, characteristics of who they are. And so I, it's a minor moment, but I also really kind of liked it because obviously he's joking with the kid and the, and the kids, his reaction to it's a little bit funny too, but it, it is a kind of like a, Hey, let's, you know, let's, let's, let's just deal with the characters themselves. Let them speak for who they are and not these arbitrary things that are, uh, you know, assigned to people at random, but off that. So did I, you think they were going to go see Amos in Baltimore? Oh, oh no, <laughs> wrong, wrong, <laughs> completely wrong universe. I was like, wait, Amos. Oh yeah. Uh, no, no. And, and they're not even near that timeline in the future. Um, but I, when they said Isaiah, 
that name stuck with me. I'm like, Isaiah, Isaiah, I know that name, but I wasn't completely sure. Uh, and then, of course, the actor playing him is Carl Lumbly, who uh, people might know as the voice of Martian Manhunter in the Justice League show. He even ended up playing Jean's father in the Supergirl TV show. Uh, so I, I love Carl and he's got such a distinctive voice, too. Um, but voice. but what I then it finally clicked, especially when he's kind of talking about going one on one with Bucky in the Korean War. I'm like, this is the this is the African-American Captain America they did in the comic books. And especially when they reveal he is enhanced as well. And this is earth shattering to, to Sam, but it's also sets up. And I, I might get the character's name wrong, but I think it's young Patriot, um, who is also African-American and he's one of the young Avengers. Um, and, Maybe uh, the the boy that's there in the house could be a little seed for that. Um, but I, I it's just I was I really liked that because I don't know unless you're like a diehard comic book fan. I don't know anybody wouldn't even know that they did a story with a black Captain America. Um, so I kind of like that this is there. And also they do a good job of explaining why we've never heard about it before him being locked up for 30 years, Bucky never telling uh, Steve because it would just tear Steve apart. Yeah. And now do you think he was like in jail jail or was he like in like a gilded cage jail where it's like, you know, well, we're still trying to figure out the super soldier serum. We're going to draw all your blood and do all these experiments and, you know, and this and that. Given our government's uh, not, so great history um, <laughs> of testing on not just uh, civilians, but African-American civilians with the, the Tuskegee experiments. I'm guessing he was in a, a jail jail, like not, not like out in a public County jail or anything like that. But I'm thinking yeah. he's in the depths of a government research facility, yeah, not really ge- like not getting to see light of day. Uh, if he's getting out kind of a suicide squad thing where he's like being just dropped into a mission, complete the mission, picked up, dropped back in that, in that cage again. Um, but I'm really hoping too, that we expand on this, that, that this isn't just a, Oh, it's here for this episode. We just wanted to talk to him real, real quick to kind of flesh out the existence of other, uh, super soldiers out there and that they were able to, you know, despite every ounce of, you know, evidence to the contrary. Um, and this is the one inconsistency between the incredible Hulk movie, um, and, and the greater MCU was, you know, they, they said that they could never recreate Erskine's formula and that they had something. And that's what ended up basically creating abomination in that movie. But then we have everything from Civil War and Winter Soldier to the contrary, that they still had these active formulas that uh, they could still use. But that's that's minor here. Every long spanning franchise TV show, they're all going to have, you know, continuity errors like Boy Meets World. Sean had a sister for like two episodes and then never again. And then it's just brothers. So, you know, it's going to happen and it's, it's a minor thing. I can overlook it, especially introducing this character. 
I just don't want it to be a one-off though. Like I don't want it to be like, yeah. oh hey, we 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 did it, but now yeah. he's gone into obscurity. No, I think he needs to be relevant. And I almost feel like he needs to be the reason that Sam takes the shield. Yes. Yes. Uh I I have a very strong feeling that that might be where it goes, or at least maybe being um, the the mentor there for him that Steve can't be, you know, like just even though he went through those hardships, he can still help Sam emulate Captain America or the spirit of Captain America. Uh, and then again, this is where the episode takes, even though I give it points for kind of the, the conversation with the kid, it takes I, t- I take a some political. Term. Yes. Uh, you know, with with the cop, the cop stopping them like it makes sense. One, they're in Baltimore. Baltimore is the city of death, in my opinion. Um, sorry and, if you live there. Yes. Sorry if you live there, but I'm sure if you live there, you're like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of true. Um, <laughs> it, it's just I mean, go watch The Wire. Like the wire will tell you basically everything that's going on in Baltimore and how it's very hard to try to to fix things there. But it does take that distinctive kind of almost George Floyd moment in the sense that like, even though these two guys are arguing and then they say, yeah, we're not like really arguing. And then the cops like, Sir, sir, calm down. Like, he immediately escalates the situation. Of course, he's a white cop and is, like, ready to pull his gun on Sam, asking Sam for identification. Sam's like, I don't have it. And they're, you know, he's escalating it until his partner comes over and is like, hey, buh, 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 buh. It's Falcon, by the way. And then he's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, there was nothing there that I don't even think even poorly trained cops in a situ in a similar situation, if this were real world would have necessarily felt like they needed to escalate like this cop was doing. It it felt purely political. Uh, I'm not going to take like huge points off on it because I mean, it can happen. It has happened, but it, it just felt like we, we really don't need any of that right now. And obviously it doesn't, it goes in the opposite direction. Even it's Bucky who gets arrested and for good reason. I mean, he technically violates the terms of his conditions for his pardon. Uh, but it, it was just one of those things where it's like, you, you, you turned it a little too high there for me. Yeah. I don't know because I mean, yeah, it's a caricature of things that have happened, you know, horrible things too. Like no, no one's, no one's going to disagree there. But for me, the transition that was weird was then flipping to needing to arrest Bucky. Because yeah. To me, it should have been they came up to arrest him because they saw him from the get go. And then, you know, hey, is he bothering you? Sort of stupid crap. The dumb stuff that, you know, is clearly stupid and racist. But you know, it was the, the weird transition for them to come up there in the first place. Cause I feel like it should have been like, Hey, you know, like burp, burp, burp across the thing, like a worn out for Bucky Barnes or whatever. Yeah. And then they like see him and then they go over and then there's the dumb conversation and then they arrest Bucky. But it was like the random, the randomness. Well, wasn't it even just them? like the one cop car? Like as soon yeah, as they get like, out, there's like a like, immediately a second yeah. cop car that shows up. So it, it, it to, that was where it felt disjointed to me. Yeah. 
but you know. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, I I get it. You and I are both fans of shows that have had political messaging, and we tend to be okay with it when it's not too on the nose. And this felt very deliberate. It felt very, hey, we're pointing a finger here instead of it being organic. Like, we saw no one calling the cops. You know, yeah, they had a crowd watching, but, like, by the time the crowd's watching and the cops show up, it's like the cops were just there. Like they were. Yeah, that's that's why it was so disjointed to me because you can already see the cop car yeah. in the corner. And I'm thinking, like, if you had just had a little, like, you know, Bucky Barnes, blah blah blah. You know, if you hear the little on the radio, and the guys kind of like look over, and and then they come over, and then it goes from there. That would have made a lot more sense to me for the flow of the scene. Yeah. Then they just happen to be there, you know, for, oh, you're arguing, and then suddenly the second car is already there. That's like, that was all too, too much. And you can even then justify kind of the escalation comment, um, or like, you know, the guy getting kind of worked up, because if you're familiar with who Bucky Barnes is, and you know he's this kind of former world-renowned assassin, ghost, you know, type thing, like you've got him and you've got another guy and they're arguing. It would make sense that then a cop who may be new on the job or maybe, you know, a little fearful would be starting to go for his gun and being like, calm down, calm down. You know, like, don't, don't escalate this. Don't escalate this. But it, it did just, it, like you said, it felt disjointed. It felt a little out of place. And maybe if we, if we had something like that, like, uh, you know, Hey, be on the lookout for, uh, Bucky Barnes, we have a warrant out for his arrest for violation of his uh, of his pardon. Uh, he's been seen in this uh, vicinity or a man at matching his uh, description has been in this vicinity. And then they can call in like, hey, we we got him right here and, and so on and so forth. It just it just didn't work out right. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and it's again, it's nothing like that. Dis- again, destroys the episode for me or I feel like oh, I've got to stop watching this right now because uh, it's it's overtly political. It's just one of those things where it kind of is breaking that fourth wall. And like, I don't want to watch these movies or watch these shows. Um, the reason I'm watching a comic book movie or a comic book show is to escape this crappy reality of this world we live in and all the negative stuff that goes on and the and racism that's out there and all the other negative things. Like I want to watch a a program like this to kind of escape from that thing. Now, Again, it doesn't mean they can't comment on stuff like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I go back to an episode of Quantum Leap where Sam, uh, he leaps into a black man in the 50s. And it's him then having to deal with being black and and realizing like how they were treated during that time. And that's a very overtly political episode, but it's done so well. And in a light that's like even even if you're like, Oh, this is uh, kind of annoying. Like I'm personally not like this, but it it puts you in the shoes of, well, what if you were that person in the fifties in the South dealing with that? And like, so, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. You've got to walk that fine line. Um, Star Trek does it really well. Old Star Trek does it really well. New Star Trek, not so much, but, um, getting back to the show now, now we, uh, we get probably what's one of the best scenes, I think, in the episode. And again, it really speaks to the strengths of Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan 
and that's their co-therapy. <laughs> <laughs> After, of course, also finding out that Walker paid uh, uh, paid his bail or whatever. Yeah, to get him out. Yes, this this scene is so funny. This really does the whole buddy cop, um, you know, bromance thing that they have going. I love that he's like, yes, yeah, soul gazing. And, and the placing of their legs and then like, okay, now, yeah. now you're in really close. Well, we're locked in now. <laughs> like, this is what you wanted, right? right. <laughs> and, and then like when she's like, okay, now do, do this, the, you know, the, the staring and then they're just doing the very intense staring. And then she's like, are you guys having a staring contest? And it's like, of course they are. <laughs> yeah. Like obviously they are. That's exactly what they're doing. But I do like that Bucky had his, a little tiny bit of a breakthrough there, but I'm still, I'm not sold that Sam's a hundred percent. Okay. Oh no, absolutely not. Yeah. Because I mean, but I do think, I do think he's, he thinks that he did what was right. And he believes that, right. You know, cause he doesn't feel like he could live up to the shield or whatever. And that's where, you know, we talked about, we think the mentor thing's going to come in and the story with Isaiah and all that's going to come in and help him like feel worthy of the shield. Yeah. But I, cause he kind of shut it down real quick after that. And it was like, let's get out of here. Let's go. Well, and even, even, um, this is kind of like what you're saying, like where even Bucky, Bucky has a little bit of a kind of a, a breakthrough with it. I think also Sam does too, because at the beginning of the episode, Bucky's like, let's go steal it. And Sam's like, no, no, we're not doing that. But, uh, after they, you know, get out of there and they have their very contentious discussion with Walker at this point. And I think that this is where, really kind of Walker's facade starts dropping and makes me lean more towards like, he's this character that we, we are going to find the skeletons in his closet here at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because why would you say, don't get in my way? Right. Like that if you're not the, somehow a bad guy or at least just a jerk. Right. And, and like the, just, you know, even going like, well, okay, you guys do your thing. We'll do our thing. But then, just being very combative about it and being like, you're just, you don't get in our way or we're going to stop you. And, and that's a complete turn from just earlier on when he's like, let's work together. Let's be a team. And, you know, let's carry on caps, uh, you know, assembled together. And, um, also kind of like not knowing where the, the flag smashers are. Um, but then this also kind of transitions to kind of them trying to get away the flag smashers, and all of a sudden, and we don't know who these guys are, but they've been found. And they, if I'm remembering correctly now, I've only had the one viewing. I think you've only had the one viewing. Um, but they were all in, except for like one guy, were in military garb, weren't they? Like when they yeah, got out of the cars? In, they were all in military gear, except yeah. for, yeah, the dude in the suit. Who, you know, I know it's not, but he reminded me of the, the crooked FBI agent in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, but I know his character got killed in Ant-Man and the Wasp, if I'm yeah. remembering correctly, but it looked like the same actor. Uh, I'm pretty sure he got his neck broken, but uh, <laughs> I, I I would have to go back and do research to see if it were, was in fact. I mean, if it is, it kind of makes sense. It would still kind of go in line with maybe this corruptive side of the government. That's and, and this still could be government sanctioned. Like we, we don't know. It's, it's a good enough mystery for us to be like, okay, who are these guys? 
The one problem I have with is not so much the the flag smasher who stays behind to give them the escape uh, time, but the fact that, okay, you know, he did the smart thing to push the telephone pole down or the electric pole down to block them from coming forward. But why would you run directly towards 10 cars, all with guys with automatic rifles shooting at you you're not going to last more than a second so like that doesn't really help out your your team escape i would i would think like you would try to be more thoughtful in how you're going to approach that because like they weren't going to start shooting him right away maybe they would start kind of trying to march on him and he could then you know maybe engage on a one-to-one basis or you know maybe pick up that light pole they're all out of their cars and then throw it towards them or something like that I, I don't know. I think it was very obvious that he was supposed to die right. for the scene. But I don't... That's one of those where it just, like, says plot device to me. <laughs> this is for the plot, and, like, let's move along. It doesn't have anything with, like, realism. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah, like, it's... This is for the story. Yeah, he was... Here going down her face, this is for the story. <laughs> it was, he was definitely, like, you, you knew he was going to be a throwaway character and, and stuff like that, but it, it just, like if you're like trying to think about it from a tactician standpoint or from a logic standpoint, it's like that, that doesn't help your team get away any quicker. Like you need to create more of a diversion if you really, uh, granted they're on a plane, but um, yeah. <clears throat> I would create more time to try to give them that space. But uh, again, like this is where, cause obviously the, the leader of that military team calls someone so we obviously think it's linked to whoever did the text message to, again, I still think is John Walker. Uh, but then we get to the final moments of the episode and it's Sam finally going, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to go, we're going to get the shield back. We're going to, um, we're going to figure out who's behind this. And they mentioned Zemo and that's where we kind of get the flash of Zemo in his, uh, cell, which I think was a perfect way to end the episode. Um, Good way to end it there. Yeah. My one thing for for Sam going forward is he gonna figure out how to, um, you know, put up a firewall on Red Wing or something <laughs> so that they can't just like hack back into him. You know. Well, he's destroyed actually at this point. We didn't talk about that. Uh, yeah. Well, when he when he puts him back together though, like maybe he needs to give a Spidey a call and be like, yeah. All right, you're young. You know, put up a firewall. Get my anti malware virus whatever protection on red wing yeah yeah i uh i you know i i do kind of like the fact i think i was a little annoyed in civil war when they introduced red wing as a drone um because you know i was used to him being a a a falcon in the comic books and everything that kind of like sam had i think like a, a a telepathic link with or something like that to some extent um but when you like again think about it within the logistics of a TV show, it's also something they're going to be not even just a TV show, but in a movie, you're going to have to CGI it anyways. Why not make it a little bit easier and also a little more practical and being a drone? It's like an update that I'm like, eh, I, I, I kind of wish that the Falcon was there, but at the same time, it's like I do like this concept of Red Wing being a drone too, and and it still seems to have kind of its own distinct personality a little bit. Um, and the fact that Bucky absolutely hates it too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm very interested to see, cause we only got a mention of Sharon in this episode too. So we still haven't seen her come into this yet. Um, 
they're obviously saving her her name uh, for the credits for when she does show up because like you know we get that little image of her in the credits uh, on the wall and yeah. stuff and you're like huh. You know, at some point it's going to say em- Emily Van Camp on there, but not just yet. Um, yeah, the one thing I'm worried about with her character, and I don't know, it might just be completely random, but it's the one thing that is like, you know, tickling in the side of my brain is like, are they going to set her up as like Bucky's love interest now? Yeah, you know, that's that is a complaint I, I have. I don't know how I feel about that. So I it may maybe with I don't know if it'll be Bucky. Uh, I might see it more going Sam, um, which I think I would be more okay with. I wouldn't really be okay with it, with it being Bucky, but this was the one kind of complaint I have with, I thought Sam had somebody on the line or something like call her again from his sister or whatever. I, I, I don't know. I don't remember. I'd have to go back and and watch the episode, but like, we've never had anyone introduced and any, even, even that, if it's been no one that's introduced, it could still be technically her. Um, but they, you know, cause in the comics and obviously, uh, you know, Sharon and Steve were an item and they kind of started setting that up in, in winter soldier and civil war. And it's the one thing, like I'm happy with kind of caps end and like, getting back with Peggy and everything. Mm-hmm. But it, I, I don't like that. It just completely puts Sharon out like, Oh, we introduced her in a character. She's been in only like a couple bits and we started developing her and making her well-rounded. And now we're like, yeah, bye. And then, okay, wait, no, no, no. We're going to bring her back for this. But now Steve is, you know, old oh. and, and gone. <laughs> and, and it's like, it's, it, it just, I don't know. I think it was a missed opportunity, but what do I know? I I'm not in charge of billion dollar franchises. So, um, I mean, I guess she might be the love interest for Sam too. And that that's, it's just what the whole, I don't know that I want her back just to be a love interest for either of them. Like I want her to actually have a relevant purpose there. And I don't know that I want a love story attached to it, like at all. And I'm not maybe, necessarily like, maybe like season three. Yeah, I'm not even necessarily sure that they'll, they'll go that route, because f- as far as we can know, she might still be grieving for Steve um, and never getting a chance for her final goodbye with him. Unless like he visited her after uh, the return and everything. Um, but I, I, I honestly I think she. Because they, they've mentioned that she had because um, when they were talking about stealing the shield again and how that didn't turn out well for her and how she got labeled a criminal and that Steve and Sam were on the run for two years because of it and everything. Um, I, I'm either thinking she is gone rogue and she's doing stuff on her own or she's probably going to be undercover with the Flag Smashers. Uh, I think she's going to have more of a play of kind of pulling back the curtain on who the villains are. I'm not even sure they'll go the romance angle, but um, if they do at least put her with Sam, because like with Bucky, that feels almost like a betrayal to Steve. And it's not something I would necessarily see Bucky doing at all. And at least, at least you'd have Sharon going with a guy that's probably more close to her age than a 106 year old man. Uh, plus, plus we need uh, Bucky to go back on a date with, with the, uh, the Asian girl from the uh, sushi bar, you know, yeah, did they say her name. I don't think so. Uh, if they, yeah. if they did, I forgot it, but I do want to kind of see, I, I liked their interplay from episode one 
And I would like to see that develop more than I would a relationship with him and Sharon. So, um, but that pretty much gets us to the end of the episode and, uh, final thoughts. Uh, I'm really intrigued to see where it goes from here. I think that we're going to get probably again, major reveals. Like it was about episode four, uh, in WandaVision that we got major reveals. Like it was kind of end of episode three and end of episode four, but WandaVision also was like nine episodes. So they kind of had more reveals that they could do later on and stuff. And with this being six, um, I really have to say that your, your turning point has to be the midway because you still have two episodes then to finish that arc out. So I'm expecting episode three to be really jam packed with reveals, uh, obviously, I think we'll see Zemo out uh, actually in the world, uh, hopefully donning his mask. Um, I'm I'm sure we'll get reveals on really what is the splinter group of Flag Smashers doing? Were they actually stealing vaccines? Who's behind the, the phone uh, message? Uh, and maybe get more of who Walker really is. I, I kind of am more kind of in line with, um, I think he is also in a dark place. We just haven't seen it that everything he's gone through, uh, in his military career, because he knows Dr. Rayner. Uh, now again, it was a little bit on a mission basis, not so much as a doctor. Uh, but I have a feeling there's more of a dark side in him trying to deal with whatever experiences he had in the war. Um, that I think is really going to come into play about whatever his true motivations actually are. And I have to say like Wyatt Russell's doing a really good job. Um, I I really like him. Uh, you know, it also, he's the son of Kurt Russell. So, you know, what can you do? But, uh, (laughs) I over I love all the memes of him in the helmet. Yeah. <laughs> well, he see, so like he's got the face of his dad, but I don't yeah. know where he gets the nose from because <laughs> the nose is not his dad's nose. And he does look like uh, the guy from up. Carl. Yeah. With, with, you know, basically with the helmet on when he has the helmet off, not so much, but with the helmet on. Yeah, he yeah. does. He does look like him. Um, but yeah, I, other than some, you know, some weird moments uh, in writing, like like we said with the cops, um, a little bit on the CGI, but not not a whole lot. Uh, I have to come in on this episode at a strong like four and a half. Like I really this didn't have the pacing problems that I felt with episode one. Um, I don't I do not want necessarily, though, each episode to kind of have these opening action scenes uh, and then spend the rest of the episode with exposition. But this one at least worked really well with what it did in the sense of um, the exposition wasn't necessarily all tied down to family drama. Um, like we had just we had too much focus on Sam's family in that first episode and and the loan and bank stuff. Um this episode, even though it introduced other concepts and other kind of character building background moments, None of it felt like they spent too much time on it and it still kept the story moving that the episode was kind of over before I knew it. Yeah. I don't know. I was kind of, I'm just leaning at like a strong four. Okay. Cause I'm just, I'm enjoying it, but I wasn't like surprised or like really pulled in by anything yet, which will probably happen when we start, you know, getting things revealed and seeing who's who and who's up to what. 
you know, who's up to no good. Right. I was just thinking while you were talking, maybe part of this Flag Smasher splinter group, just like thinking about them talking about how, you know, the people with power always have power, you know, or whatever, and the resources are going back to them. I'm wondering if they're stealing super soldier like shots that maybe it was like the U.S. government was going to have or something because those were all military guys, you know, something along that, and they're trying to, like, take them and redistribute them to people. I don't know. It could just be medicine. You know, that's totally fine, too. But just, like, I want to know, I want to know, of course, what the characters want to know. Right. Where did they get their super soldier serum shot at? You know, they pull up to the testing site, (laughs) you know, just get my shot. Well, and you make a, you make a really good point there because, um, the uh, the one guy, the German guy who's kind of running the uh, the safe house for them, calls them Robin Hood. Uh, you yeah. know that they're they're taking from the rich and giving to the poor. Um, and I kind of had the the impression that um, they were using this safe house, but using it um, dishonestly, like in this, like like kind of our speculation. They broke off from the main flag smashers, but they're still using the flag smasher resources and hoping that like this, this like little run rundown safe house is not going to know uh, that they are the people like, cause even as far as we know, like we, we Sam and, and Bucky don't know who these individuals are, but as that one flag smashers at the computer, he's like, they're already like looking for us. So whether that's the government or other flag smashers who could be run by the government, because I, I really do think that the story is kind of going to come down to government corruption. Um, yeah. I think a lot of it will come back on that DOD guy who is the one who kind of lied to Sam and then gave the shield to John. Uh, that there is going to not necessarily Hydra, but there is going to be kind of this Hydra thing of people working within the government, uh, maybe within that GRC uh, that are trying to keep things in a certain way to exploit people and exploit Mm -hmm. resources and stuff like that. And, um, which I think is a very interesting way that they could take the show. I I really do. And I'm just, I am very intrigued to see what we get for the rest of this season. And at at this, uh, it's a little early to say it, but I, uh, so far I think that, you know, they're batting perfectly right now with their shows. WandaVision, whatever criticisms we may have had of it uh, was still really good and really strong and built up, you know, the next movie of like Dr. Strange. Uh, This I think is, is going to be an equally strong entry into the shows and build up whatever it's going to build up. Uh, And it just makes me excited for more. Like I'm going to be kind of sad when we get to the end of episode six and we got like a month and a half till Loki comes out, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's going to feel like an eternity. Uh, Although we do have the mighty Ducks show that just started also today, which I need to, you know, sit down and and check that out. When is, when is Loki versus when um, they're putting black widow in theaters? Black widows, July. Okay. Uh, So Loki will be June. And Black Widow, uh, in all honesty, um, I am probably just not. I'm, it's probably going to be one I'm going to skip. Uh, and, and it's nothing to do with the cast or nothing to do with the story they're telling. Um, it's one. Marvel has screwed this project over. Uh, and and it may, 
maybe I'm misplacing the blame there. Disney, I think. And and a little bit of this goes on Feige because Feige was one who was hyper resistant to go. Yeah, we're we're not going to release this straight to streaming or anything like that. Uh, even though they did Mulan and Mulan, from all my understanding, did very, very, fairly well with uh, their premier access uh, functionality. And at that time, they charged only nineteen ninety nine, I think, to access the movie uh, for the for a period of time. But when you're one over a, almost a year late into releasing Black Widow. And I can give a little bit leniency of, you know, when Black Widow was scheduled to actually release and then COVID hitting and all the government lockdowns and stuff like that. And we're still in the midst of this pandemic um, that it. it I, I can understand them not going like, OK, we're going to release this straight to streaming or anything like that, but they should have done it at some point before the end of 2020. And the fact that Feige would keep not commenting on it and uh, just kept saying, no, it's not. We're just going to release in theaters. But then they keep pushing the release date back. Um, And then they're finally like, "Okay, okay, we're going to do it. But it's going to be 30 bucks if you want to watch it on Disney Plus or you can go out and see it in theaters. And I'm like, you know, I've kind of gotten very comfortable with theater at home. And I really do like the HBO Max model. And I think uh, HBO and, and Warner Brothers need to reevaluate how they're going to do 2022. And and to be fair, they haven't made a complete decision yet. They want to go back to just straight to theater releases in 2022. But 2021 is so far. We haven't gotten back to semi normal yet. And um, as much as I don't necessarily want theaters to die, uh, people have projectors people have bigger tvs better tvs better sound systems uh the flexibility to be able to pause the movie and go run to the bathroom or go pick up a pizza real quick and come back and finish their movie um even with like the snyder cut and the fact it was broken up into like six parts uh even if you wanted to watch it the straight through for the four hours if you needed to pause, you could pause. Or if you wanted to break it up, you could stop and come back to it the next day or later on in the day or next week. Um, And I think that audience members are not going to really just jump going right back to theaters. And especially with Warner Brothers saying their whole theater slate for 2021 is releasing in theaters and HBO Max at the same time. It's like Godzilla versus uh, Kong is next week. Um, or actually technically this week as, uh, the episode releasing, um, I'm going to watch it at home. Uh, Mortal Kombat going to watch it at home. You know, it's, I can fit within that time period of being able to watch it for a month. Uh, and I honestly, as someone who watched wonder woman 84, I'm very glad I watched it at home versus spending money on a ticket and seeing it in theaters. I would have been very, very disappointed. Um, so I, I, I applaud them for finally saying what they're going to do for it, but they've already maligned it. Uh, They've already done their own damage to it. They've already done, you know, we already know that this isn't necessarily going to be a completely necessary story, except for maybe introducing a couple new characters that it's going to be one that once it releases either on physical 
or on straight on streaming uh, without extra costs, that's probably when I'm going to check it out. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, as long as the theater is continuing to do its like safe precautions yeah. and whatnot, I'll probably go. I don't know. We'll we'll see. You know how I feel about that in July. Right. <laughs> so if anything changes or, or what? But um, as far as like theaters dying, I don't know. I'm I'm I would still like to have them around, but I. I like some of the um, precautions that we have now been enforcing since the pandemic hit. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, there are some changes that I feel like should continue like forever. (laughs) (laughs) Doing QR code menus and things like that, or always having the people like really actually thoroughly wipe down your table for the restaurant and, and things that I'm like, this is genuine cleanliness or like, you know, cleanliness. Like why weren't we doing this before, you know, sort of things or, actually trying to force the people in the grocery store to not breathe down my neck and be right <laughs> on top of me in the line. So, like, if if the spacing out of, like, theater seats and things like that, because that was, that's something that's always kind of bothered me. Like, um, I don't know if you've ever been to the Aronoff, but, you know, the seats, they're so close. Crunched together. They are so close together. And it's like, I would enjoy going to the theater Oh, like this is like the theater theater, um, not the cinema. Just to, okay, like, snob. <laughs> <laughs> I would enjoy going more often, but the seats that I would like to sit in that are actually a little more spacious are like way out of my price range because I'm a popper. So <laughs> you know, I don't want to be crunched in there with all the people, and it's it's like not as enjoyable. So at the cinema, it's kind of the same thing. Like I like to spring for. Um, our theater has an upstairs portion where you can get food and alcohol and things like that. And those seats are actually spread out a lot further. So if I do go to the theater, it is a, yeah, um, you know, like I plan for that. I'm going to pop for the more expensive ticket and be upstairs, you know, in that section anyway, that I don't, I don't like to sit on the downstairs level with the. You, you are, you are a snob. I never knew this. Uh, you know, when I went and saw Wonder Woman when it first came out, the guy who sat down right next to me was so high, and he reeked of marijuana. And he had on this big puffy coat, and I don't—I forget it was like summer, right? And he has on this coat, and he's pulling out like a whole McDonald's bag with hamburgers and fries and a drink. And I'm like, oh my god, this is just terrible. As someone who worked at a movie theater, I hated people like that. Um, you know, they, I, in fact, I remember, uh, cause I used to be an usher, uh, and so I would, you know, let tear the tickets and tell people which theater to go into. And I got, um, a woman who was very unhappy with me because f- she had her kids with her and I mean her husband too, and they were all going to go see a movie and she had a backpack. Well, we don't allow backpacks in the theaters, especially, Uh, This was after the uh, Aurora, Colorado shooting after Dark Knight Rises and stuff. And like, so we were very much like any backpacks. They either go, go, go back out to the car or they got to sit up at the front desk and they can pick them up afterwards. And she's trying to tell me that this is her diaper bag. And I'm like, all right, can I see inside your bag then? And she opens it up and there were no diapers in that bag. Um, there, I mean, there was stuff in there and I couldn't necessarily see what was in there, but I knew there was not diapers in that bag. And I said, ma'am, I'm sorry. And she, and her kids that they had with, she had with her were not in diapers. 
Like I, I, I could tell they weren't in diapers and uh, they got so angry with me and I'm like, I'm sorry, it's theater policy. We can't have backpacks in the theaters. And, and if it were a diaper bag, you know, because diaper bags are distinctively different looking than a backpack. Um, and they got mad at me and I'm like, I'm sorry, you know, you can take it back out to your car. Well, no, I don't want to take it out back to my car. I'm like, well, then you can leave it up at our front desk and you can pick it up after your movie. And I'm just like, well, I'm sorry. We can't have contraband come into the theater. And I mean, it didn't stop everybody. People still snuck stuff in. But I also agree with you on kind of theater sitting, because um, typically when I go, especially uh, I always would pre buy my tickets online. Um, outside of ones where like I was buying them super early, uh, and not buying them the day I was going to go see it. Um, I would pick, I have a normal kind of seat. I like to pick in, in my theater. It's usually seat D 10 cause it's about right in the middle and it's, you know, almost perfectly in line in the number of rows back. Uh, but I always would definitely try to make sure that I had a space to the side of each side of me. I didn't necessarily like people sitting next on next to me. Now, when you have sold out movies, you kind of couldn't, you know, really deal with that. But I always liked it because I like to kind of not that I like to like spread out, but like I don't like my arm having to touch someone else's arm or uh, their arm kind of just encroaching over into my space and stuff like that, or even worrying about. Oh, is that my drink or their drink and, my, and you know, reaching in the wrong cup holder or stuff like that. But I do. I like that uh, meme that I sent you where that theater. Oh, yeah. The Imperial Senate. <laughs> and everyone's in their like little fan, bubble type fan, thing. Fan. Um, awesome. I want that. You know, if somebody's like an investor or whatever, you're redoing a, a cinema. Like those, that seating is awesome. Let's, let's do that. That's fantastic. Well, and I know, um, like a, a, another local, th- actually the theater I used to work at, what they do now is, um, so they'll, when you buy a ticket and you're buying tickets with like a, a friend or with a family member, your seats can be grouped together and then they space out accordingly. Like they'll leave, you know, a seat in between or two seats in between based off of that. Like once those two seats are sold, they X out like the next two seats to the left and to the right of those people or whatever. Uh, and I think that that's kind of a good way to do it. But I honestly, what I would, I, I, I would like, uh, drive in theaters to really kind of make more of a come comeback. Um, those were great. And in the sense of like, again, like it kind of fits within the COVID, you know, regulations, you know, you're only in your car with your, you know, people that you're going to be fine either if you're, you know, communicating uh, with them and being in close proximity and not worrying about wearing a mask. Uh, but like the, the main problem I have with modern regular movie theaters is, and I've talked about it on, on this show before is, you're a gamble with the audience. And, um, I really have found that people are so disrespectful nowadays. Most, some aren't, and maybe most aren't, but I've had it more often than not where people are on their cell phones or their cell phone rings, or they even have conversations on their cell phones. Um, or they'll have their kids running around or they'll just be talking straight loud. Like it annoys me (laughs) If my dad listens to the podcast, which I don't think he does, but my dad frustrates me from time to time because he'll be one of those ones where he might miss something and then he's leaning over and like, hey, what's what just happened? Like, where are they at right now? And I'll be like, quiet. <laughs> like he never talks it loud, but it's to me, it's loud. And uh, as someone who is 
always uh, attributed to being loud. And when I'm ever in a movie theater, I'm always like quiet, you know, super <laughs> quiet. Um, and so like I, I, I've had it numerous times where it's just been people that just have no decorum and no respect for the theater going experience. So why would I go pay 20 bucks? Uh, if, in fact, there's a funny uh, Reno 911 uh, bit where they're doing like one of their PSA commercials and uh, Weigel is, you know, telling them that they're, you know, not that they're not allowed to be like talking while the movie's going on. And uh, and they're like and she's like, you know, why should I have to pay nine dollars to listen to your kids run around uh, and do this and this. Do you know how long it takes a, a cop to earn $9? About an hour and a half. And then, uh, and she goes, if I hear your kids, I'm going to shoot you and blame it on drug dealers <laughs> or something like that, basically by the end of it. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of how I feel with people who are disrespectful in movie theaters. Um, but I mean, like, I don't want them to go away, but I like this idea of simultaneous release. And if it's part of a streaming service, like, uh, Paramount Plus or or HBO Max or um, uh, Disney Plus and, and stuff like that. Uh, Peacock, like if these studios deign to be like, OK, well, we'll release it simultaneously and our paid subscribers uh, can have access to that film for a month uh, and then it will come back to the service about three months later. Basically, average, you know, shelf life of a movie being in theaters and then coming out on home release. Um I don't see anything wrong with that. Uh, I think that you actually will probably get more projects out there and more eyes on a project than you would necessarily in a theater. Cause there have been plenty of movies where I've waited until it just came out. And then there have been movies where it's like, okay, well the critics really panned this, but I still want to see it, but I don't know since it's at a 40 on rotten tomatoes, do I really want to go out and spend the $10 ticket price? Um, for a matinee showing and then waste two hours of my afternoon watching a movie that I might not like when I could wait and it's going to be on Netflix or available on voodoo for the same 10 bucks. And I could actually own it at that point if I wanted to. Um, I, I really think that they need to be proactive in looking at this could be still going on well into 2022 and we still need to make these movies. And as long as we're making them safe and everything simultaneous release, let some people who feel comfortable going out to movie theaters go out and see them and let those who have these streaming services see them. Yeah. Yeah. No, what Marvel needs to work on right now is selling Eternals to me because that's, yeah. I, mean, I saw that on a, I think it was, it was, um, it had black widow. What was the next one after that? Was it, is it supposed to be Shang-Chi? Yeah. Cause Eternals. I think Shang-Chi got moved to September because of, Black Widow. Black Widow. Then Eternals and then something else. Spider-Man and, is, I think, the last one for 2021. But they haven't done any work at all to sell me any of these movies. Right. You know, like, they've not... I don't I don't know that I've seen a single trailer, anything. Not and for, not for like Shang-Chi that. or Eternals. Well, and, and the thing is, is, like, Shang-Chi on its own, I'm just interested in, in general. Like, right. they don't really have to sell that to me too hard. I'm interested, and I want to see it. Eternals, though, I don't know any of that. Like, you know, I'm not, like, a hard, hardcore um, comic book fan. So, 
like, if I didn't see it in a lot of the cartoons, Marvel or DC, you know, whichever property we're talking about, right. if I didn't see it in a lot of that, or I didn't happen to see it with my friends who did have the comic books and, you know, and I happened to be looking at it, I'm like, I don't know who any of these characters are. I feel like they're somehow connected to the failed and human show. And I'm just like already like, I don't. So like, am I supposed to want to see it on the basis of the actors cast? Yeah. And they, and they've done some, um, some wild from my understanding. I, I, I'm much like you. I don't really know who these characters are. If I'm, if I'm remembering correctly and I could be wrong, the name is supposed to be ironic uh, in the fact that these are characters that actually have a shelf life. Like the, they themselves are like only set to live for X amount of years. Uh, but I could be having that completely wrong. And I do believe they were created by Stan Lee. Um, again, could have that completely wrong. Um, but I think that they're supposed to have also a connection with the Celestials. Um which were like the things that we saw with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, like they were the wielders of the Infinity Stones and stuff like that. And Nowhere's head was like the head of one. Um, but and I guess technically. Um, oh, God, what was Kurt Russell's character name from Guardians 2? Like he was one. Dad. Um, yeah, I'm I'm still angry with that. Like I didn't mind that he was the. Ego, yes. I don't I don't mind that like Kurt Russell was ego. I didn't like that he was um Star Lord's dad. Like that that's goes so contradictory to the comics and stuff like that, and it just doesn't, in my opinion, really make a whole lot of sense. But I, I I'm Well apparently he was a dad to a lot of people. <laughs> well, and I and I guess I'm over it at this point, but it just I remember being very upset that it wasn't just son and um and just uh and not not a uh, not just son from uh um Glass Cannon, Cannon podcast. <laughs> um but yeah, it was it was just one of those things where I was like, yeah, that's that's I like you James Gunn, but I don't like what you did there. Um and this is kind of, again, a sidetrack at this point of the episode, we've kind of gone off rails, but um, I don't know if you saw the trailer for Suicide Squad um, yet, but oh, they're doing another one? well, James Gunn is directing this one and it's oh. it's oh, okay. it's okay. loosely related to like it's a loose sequel to the other Suicide Squad. Is this the, like is John Cena in this? Or something? Yes. Yes. Yeah. OK. OK. Um, I, I like the trailer, but I'm getting too much Guardians of the Galaxy vibe. Oh, from like it? and again, like that's kind of what they were trying to do with the first Suicide Squad, except it was a Guardians of the Galaxy. But these are bad guys, uh, but still kept that tried to keep that dark DC tone to it. And watching this trailer, like I, I I'm optimistic for it, but it feels like it feels like James Gunn making an MCU movie as a DC movie. And I really like James Gunn. So, you know, please don't come after me for, Hey, uh, I love James Gunn. I love his work. Uh, I've got super, uh, I love slither. Uh, he, you know, worked on Tromeo and Juliet. Um, he's, a, uh, actually he even wrote the Scooby-Doo movies. And as much as people might hate the Scooby-Doo movies, I love the <laughs> Scooby-Doo movies. They're, they're not great, but they're fun. 
Um, so like, I'm just a little bit worried, especially using, um, uh, Michael Rooker again in this one. It's like, okay, he's, it's Yondu, but it's not Yondu. And, uh, it's just, it's got that. You can tell it's James Gunn vibe to it. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. I, I don't like Pete Davison. So I'm really hoping Pete Davison's character is just one who is in it for five seconds and gets his head blown up, um, uh, for dis you know, disobeying orders or whatever. But, like we were talking about earlier, like I want DC to stay in its distinct style and tone. And I don't want these two melding together and, and trying to emulate that feel to it. Um, but after that digression and all our other digressions, (laughs) do we have anything else final to say about Falcon and winter soldier? No, we're looking forward to the next episode. Yes, very much so. And like always, we will be, uh, at least like always with this series, we'll be doing an episode by the week. Uh, a couple weeks, you might get a double double episode release of the podcast where Pat and I might be covering a movie or some such. And then Leslie and I will cover this. Uh, and, you know, it just makes it easier to keep it on this week format right now. Uh, but we're really excited for it. Uh, we hope you guys are enjoying our reviews of it. And as always, if you're not following the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at Critics NT Cynics. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at Critics Not Cynics Podcast. Uh, you can follow the podcast on any service pretty much existent. I know my brother listens to it on Amazon Music. Uh, we're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, uh, Google Play, Audible. So there's no excuse. Um, and as always, if you wouldn't, wouldn't mind leaving us a rating and review on whatever service you use, it's appreciated. It helps kind of get us out there. We're still small podcast, but uh, we are still, you know, trying to invest in better equipment to up our quality and up our game. Uh, So, like I said in our past few episodes, I have some really cool things planned in the future uh, and I can't wait to get there. But it's just going to be a little bit of a road. Uh, So, as always, you can um, also send us emails in at critics, not cynics at gmail dot com. And we will talk to you guys next time.